This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. That's Miranda, who once sat by the river, letting the light of the full moon shine on her pregnant belly. She was hoping to induce labor. It didn't work. And that's Mel. She is the girl who taught me after 33 years of life how to properly make a bed. So thank you, Mel. I've been doing it wrong my whole life. Let me hit you with my mayhem from yesterday. It's been beautiful here, right? Right. Gorgeous weather. And I had some time to kill before I had to go pick Fisher up from after school. And normally I would have taken this time to go to the gym and work out, but it's so beautiful outside. I'm thinking, I'm going to go for a walk in the forest. There's like, you know, that national forest over here oh, kind yeah. of near where it's I live. beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, right? So I'm like, I'm just going to go out and be in nature. So I get my nature shoes, which are different than my gym shoes. I get my little Tennessee Volunteers hat, you know, to keep the sun and the bugs out of my face. And I'm looking all cute. I'm ready for my little hike. I get my hiking fanny pack, which is different from my gym fanny pack. Two very different fanny packs for two very different reasons. You and your fanny packs. You never know when you're going to need one. So I get in my car, I'm driving to the forest, and I'm turning in the parking lot, and I realize I don't have the membership tag that you're supposed to hang on your mirror. Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's one of those. And you're supposed to pay the annual membership, which we do, but it's in my husband's car, and it's like a $5... Uh, fee to like visit for the day so I'm like rummaging through my console trying to find a crumpled dollar bill can't find anything and I'm just like well you know it's kind of late in the day nobody maybe nobody will notice right so I'm just gonna like drive back here very conspicuously and see how it goes because I'm thinking you know we already paid the membership you know I, I just because I don't have proof that I paid the membership doesn't mean I didn't pay the membership I'm justifying all of this right yeah so as sound, I'm like, sound, sounds like it <laughs> as I'm driving down this like gravel road my phone rings and it's the YMCA and I'm like, oh, God, what is this? So she's like, hey, um, I've got Fisher here. And um, he uh, I, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but like, he's OK. 
but he was really excited to get to Adventure Zone today, and he came running off the bus and, like, ran straight into the concrete wall, and I, like, heard his skull, like, crack on the wall, and, like, our walls are cement, and I'm really worried about him because he's been crying for a while, and we put ice on it, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 slow down. I'm like, is he okay? Like, what's going on? And she's telling me, you know, he he slammed his head on the concrete wall. She said she heard it crack. And she's just, like, panicked. So I'm just like, you know what? I guess I wasn't supposed to go for a walk today after all. I don't have the tag. I don't have the money. I didn't even make it out of my car. So thank goodness you called me before I was, like, a mile in on the trail, right? Right. So she's panicked. She's, like, worked up into a and lather over there. How old do you think she is? Oh, goodness. Great question. I'm going to estimate 16. Okay. That makes more sense now. Anyway, I'm in my car. I'm driving like pedal to the metal to get there on time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to have to take him to the hospital? Like he's busted his head open. He might have a concussion. Like who knows what's going on? And I get there and they see me and they're like, oh my gosh, Miranda, um, Fisher's Fisher's over here. We're going to go get him for you. And they're like so dramatic, right? So I'm like waiting there, like on pins and needles, like waiting for them to bring him out with like blood gushing down his face. And he's got his backpack on. He's got his Chromebook like on his shoulder. He's got his lunchbox in his hand. And he is just bebopping down the hallway like ain't nothing, nothing ever happened to him. And I'm like, what is this shit? What is this shit? I'm like, Fisher, I heard you like hit your head. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't hurt anymore. Oh and my I'm gosh. like, are you, are you really? So then I'm like feeling his head, you know, expecting for there to be like a giant right, goose like egg, a, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like would a knot too. on his head. Nothing. Nothing. Not a bruise, not a bump, not a scrape. He's oh totally fine. And I'm just like, I probably could have gone for my peaceful walk in the woods. I feel like it was already ruined. You didn't have the things you needed. But there's there's something to be said for having your kids in a program where, like, younger people are watching them. Because Jonah's, like, not the, not the after-school program he's in now, but the daycare he was in before it, those mm-hmm. girls were, like, 19, 18, mm-hmm. 19. And they were always like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, <laughs> like you're explaining. And... Mm-hmm. um I would always be like, did you take him up to the office because it was a family-run daycare and it was like grandma ran the front office? And like, if grandmother, if the grandmother was panicking, then I was going to panic. But if grandma wasn't panicked, Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, I'll come straight after work. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. No need to worry here. Nothing nothing to see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No. So this week... um, You know, Jonah has a lot of neighborhood friends, which is great and also kind of stressful because there's all these children in and out of your house and doors slamming, 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 slamming. Random children (laughs) in your cupboards that you're not even sure who they are. Like, you're like, oh. Well, I happened to look out the window one day last week because, like you said, our weather here has been really nice as well. And they were playing, like, some sort of game Mm -hmm. where 
they were rescuing one of them. Like, they were taking turns being the person who was being rescued. I can only imagine, like, one of his friends, their their father is a firefighter. So, like, Mm -hmm. maybe that's, I don't know where this is coming from. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the inspiration for sure. Right. So, I mean, I look out the window and the one kid is like laid out like he's dead in the front lawn, in my what? front lawn. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're all like, no. they're all doing, oh I mean, in, you know, in to their credit, they were doing the steps. They were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And oh, then wow. they like, yeah, I mean, I think they were really doing the thing. But I'm just like, oh, Lord. Do you consent to me helping you? <laughs> <laughs> Call for help. No, oh, wow. but um, I was just like, oh my gosh, if one of the other neighbors walks by and doesn't realize that this is a game, they're going to think we right. just have this like nearly dead child in our front yard. <laughs> and all of the children are, are just flocking and tending to the <gasps> nearly dying child. It's always amazing. It's always interesting. I'll tell you that much. Oh, you never know what they're going to come up with. What was their um their little litter crew thing that you were telling me about a while back they were doing? Oh, clean team. The clean, clean team. team. Yes. Yeah. They were walking around with our beach wagon. They were going around the neighborhood. <laughs> they had made signs, which, oh, I mean, my, my child is eight. He has a phone, a watch phone. But, like, nobody right. can call it unless I put it, I give them permission. Like, you right. can call him. But, like, mm-hmm. random people can't call him. And they had, like, his phone number on the flyer. And I'm just oh like, my oh, my gosh. Watch <laughs> but didn't they make the flyers? Because Jonah, like, decorated them and, and like, oh, they put designed flyers on all the They put the flyers on all of the, like, stop signs. They, like, made their own litter as promotion <laughs> for them being the... The clean team litter hey, crew cleanup. he made $2.00 in quarters that one wow. day. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> impressive. Here's what I'm going to say. These are the activities that are promoting your child to be a responsible citizen when he grows up. He is taking care of the planet and he is taking care of other people. He is learning how to give CPR and he's learning how to pick up trash. A hundred, a hundred percent. As long as no one calls the police on us, that's all. <laughs> for for littering and or uh, letting children be half dead in your front lawn and not doing anything about it. Yeah. Melanie, are you ready to record the very breast episode of all time? I I want to say yes emphatically, but. I, I'm I'm a little apprehensive because you haven't warned me about what you have in store. Well, I think you're going to like it. And I hope you're feeling very titillated over there to get started with what I have ready for you. Wow. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. I'll get there. So on today's episode, we talked about kind of shining a light and talking about breast health for women. And so I know you're going to talk a little bit later on about breast cancer. So I wanted to talk about, from a parenting perspective, breastfeeding. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I just feel like there's something more coming, though. Like, there, you, I, you, 
listeners cannot see her, but she has this look <laughs> on her face like she's going to make me do something that I think is weird. Oh, yeah. I, you're definitely going to think that it's weird, but I think all in all, you're going to love it. Because I could sit over here and I could rattle off facts and figures about breastfeeding, but that's really not the best way to do it. So what I want to do instead <laughs> is turn it up a nip and introduce you to a super fun quiz show called Breastfeeding Mythbusters. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. I'm ready. What What are the rules? What do I do? Okay. So I'm going to read a statement to you, and you are going to guess okay. whether the statement is factual or fictional. Okay. Like true or false. Exactly. But instead of saying true or false, because that's like super boring, if something, oh, no. if something is true, you're going to say that it is a certain titty. Oh, I am? That's exactly what you're going to say. So true is certain titty. <laughs> yeah. It sounds certain so good titty. when you say it. Yes. <laughs> okay. 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 And if something is false, you're going to say it's a booby trap. Oh, I like that. Booby trap. Booby yeah. trap. Booby trap. Okay. And Okay. And and before we get started, I just want to say that like when it comes to breastfeeding, there are a lot of booby traps out there. There are a lot of misconceptions. So what I wanted to do was a lot of research and really put some things together so we can make sure we're making informed choices when it comes to feeding our babies, feeding our children, and doing all of those fun, wonderful things. Okay. I'm ready. Sound good? Certain titty. Certain titty. <laughs> Okay, here's statement number one. Oh, and let me get my, I've got a little score sheet for you here. Okay, so I've got my score sheet. I'm going to keep track of your answers and what you're getting right and wrong, okay? Okay, statement number one. You shouldn't wash your nipples before breastfeeding. I actually remember reading about this. I think that that is certain titty. That's correct. It's a certain titty. Yes, 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 yes. And this actually kind of ties in with your topic from last week about probiotics and the microbiome. Because your nipples have healthy, good bacteria on them. And your baby is going to get used to the way that that smells. And that bacteria is actually going to help them to build up their immune system uh, by exposing them to that a little bit. So you don't need to wash your nipples before you breastfeed. You're not saying that you should avoid washing your nipples and boobs in general. It's just you don't need to wash them before you put the little one on there correct right so like i mean definitely please take a shower <laughs> you're gonna thank you you're gonna want you. that that's you're all i was looking that. for you're still gonna need a nice hot shower yes and it's gonna feel okay. so good on you but before like if you're getting ready to nurse like don't feel like you need to take a baby wipe to your boob and like clean it off oh, yeah. before no, the don't. baby comes on that's actually Don't kind of that. a bad thing. So just okay. let them get on there. Let them get that natural good bacteria that's there. It helps them to kind of become familiar with your smell. And again, it's going to help them build up their own immune system by uh, improving their microbiome. So yay, good job. Okay. okay, one for one. Awesome. Statement number two, mothers who breastfeed have better bonding experiences with their babies. I am going to say that that is a booby trap. Is that correct? That is correct. You're right. You're right. Good. But I do want to put a disclaimer on that, that I feel like much of the literature that you read will make you feel like that's true. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And again, there's so much information out there about this. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But um, it's going to be really important to make sure you're really looking at evidence-based, peer-reviewed, you know, you want to get into the real science here before you just believe something that you read. Because what's the source of, of that thing that you're reading? Where did it come from? Did it come from um, a, an organization that promotes breastfeeding? Or did it come from a organization that's trying to sell you formula? You don't know. So you've got to kind of dig in right. and do your research. Yeah. So I want to talk about this one. So this statement kind of centers on a hormone that uh, is very heavily involved with breastfeeding. Do you remember what that hormone is? I think it ends in a tocin, but I'm not yeah. sure which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does end in a tocin, and it starts with an oxy. Oxytocin. Oxytocin. <laughs> oxytocin. So oxytocin is also known as the cuddle hormone, and it's the hormone that we feel when we're all cuddly and snuggly and bonding with our baby and feeling so happy and good. And there's definitely like a, a nerval, a nerval. There's definitely a <laughs> what neural. What is a nerve? <laughs> Sorry, a nerval. <laughs> I feel like he was like the kid that always got picked on in science class. Nerval. Shut up, nerval. <laughs> nerval Longbottom. Oh, you know what? You know what? He's very accomplished these days, nerval. He is, is. and he's actually very attractive. So more power to <laughs> like, nerval. I've read all kinds of books on that. He got really, really hot, and he's really accomplished. He married and he's a super nice guy, but Nerval had a rough time. <laughs> so when it comes to oxytocin, there's definitely a nerve response in your nipples that triggers that pleasure sensation for oxytocin to be released. However... There are similar amounts of oxytocin that are released if you are just looking into your baby's eyes and having skin-to-skin -skin contact, like if you were bottle feeding them. So there may be slightly higher levels of oxytocin for nursing moms, but moms who are formula feeding their babies and giving them a bottle and still having that skin-to-skin, -skin, you know, cuddle experience is going to also release oxytocin. That's on the mom side. I also want to look here at the baby side because this kind of surprised me and was really interesting. When babies are eating, they are also getting oxytocin. And it is completely um, non-dependent on whether it's from the breast or from a bottle because there is a sucking mechanism in what's called the oral mucosa, and that triggers a neural response to release the oxytocin. And there's this super fascinating article, I'm gonna put it in the show notes, but it really gets into the mechanics of breastfeeding and like how that sucking mechanism works. But the baby is getting oxytocin whether they are on a bottle or on the breast. So it's the exact same for the baby because it's all coming from that mechanism. And again, the mom is still going to be getting some if she's looking in the baby's eyes, cuddling, snuggling the baby, um, giving them a bottle or breastfeeding. Pretty interesting, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. same difference. Same difference. Yep. So that's a really good one. Okay, we're on to number three, and you are doing, okay. you're doing great so far. I'm, I'm two for two. All right, statement number three. Breastfeeding reduces your child's risk of obesity. Ooh. I'm going to say 
booby trap. You're right again. Look at you go. Go, 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 go. Yes. Yes. But this- I kind of, I wanted to say certain titty <laughs> because I feel like I read that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I did not check my sources. It. You've definitely read it because it's definitely out there. Um, this is a booby trap. And what I want to get into this now is when it comes to these studies that are promoting breastfeeding, so many of them are looking at correlation and not full causation. So let's think about this for a second. If we were going to really make a claim about breastfeeding versus formula feeding your baby, we would need a mom who has twins, who has twins. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's true. Identical twins. Identical twins, preferably. Same exact genes and everything going on. She would opt to give one formula and she would opt to breastfeed the other one, right? Right. That would be like a controlled experimental design. And then but that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Besides, you're going to need to multiply that one woman by like over a thousand women of different backgrounds, ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses, like all of these different variables can compound into this. And what we need to understand when it comes to breastfeeding is most of the time women who breastfeed are more affluent. They're more likely to be white and they're more likely to be um, economically secure. So what that means is if they're economically secure, they're going to be able to afford healthy and nutritious food for their children. They may be able to get their children involved in extracurriculars to help them stay fit. You know, they may not be reliant on supplemental nutrition benefits and things like that. There's so many different factors and variables at play here. So you can't just say, oh yeah, these kids were breastfed, breastfed, so because they were breastfed, they turned out better than these kids who were given formula. See what I mean? Yeah, it's really complicated. There's no, like, control. You can't use the scientific method on that kind of research. Right, right. Like, you have to have an experimental design with, like, randomized, you know, controls and and all of this. So there was one high-quality randomized control trial of breastfeeding, there's really only one that's ever been done ever, and it did not show any impacts whatsoever on childhood obesity. Wow. That's good information. There you go. But you're right. You know, you'll see that everywhere. Okay, next one. We're on number four. Babies who are breastfed have fewer gastrointestinal issues. I believe that that is a certain titty. I believe that you are right again. Oh, my gosh. You're on a streak here. Now, let me explain why I said that. Okay. When Jonah was young, I attempted breastfeeding. It did not have a super positive result, but I did pump for six weeks. So he was getting breast milk. I think we split it. We did like half formula, half breast milk for, I think, until he was three months old. And we didn't have any gastrointestinal issues with him during those three months. Mm -hmm. But once there was no breast milk, he wasn't receiving any breast milk, Mm -hmm. then we started having some issues. So I'm just assuming it was related to that. Gotcha. So just kind of based on your own experience, that's what you guys went through. Right. Yeah. Well, you're right. Um, there, there was a large randomized study that was done, and babies who were breastfed had statistically significant fewer gastrointestinal issues and diarrhea than babies who were formula fed. 
There it is. So there you go. How about that? All right. On to number five. Are we on number five? I think. Number five. Okay. Here we go. The American Academy of Pediatrics encourages mothers who breastfeed to give their babies a vitamin D supplement because breast milk does not have the recommended amounts. Huh. I don't know that I've ever heard anything about that. Uh, It feels like a booby trap. Ooh, your streak is over, and it was so good. It was so good. So I had to look into this, and I'm not sure how how new that this is, because I don't remember doing this with Fisher. But surprisingly, breast milk does not contain the recommended levels of vitamin D. And we know how important vitamin D is for bone development, brain development, and all these great things. So the U.S. Food and Drug Administration actually regulates formula companies to ensure that they include um, nutrients, including vitamin D, in their formulas. And so the American Academy of Pediatrics said, you know, well, since we don't have that in breast milk, we're going to encourage mothers who are breastfeeding to give their babies a vitamin D supplement, which I thought was really interesting. Somehow you and I both missed that memo. I think we did. I think we did. (laughs) I don't remember doing that at all. He got plenty of the uh, gripe water stuff. So maybe there was some vitamin D in there. Let's hope. (laughs) But another thing to keep in mind is that breast milk is a living substance made by each mother for her baby. So no two breast milk samples are ever going to be the same, which is also really crazy to think about. Isn't that wild? It's so true, though, because I remember when I was pumping, one of my coworkers um, was also pumping at the same time. And it was so funny because, like, we would go to pump together. And first of all, she was like a dairy cow. Like, she would pump like three ounces to my one ounce. And while I was over here making like watery skim milk, she's like churning out heavy whipping cream over there. I'm like, how are you doing that? On to number six here. Okay, this is a good one. This is a good one. This is a good one. You're going to. Okay, I'm ready. Number six. Babies who are breastfed have lower risks of infections like cold, respiratory infections, and croup. Everything that I have ever been led to believe would make me say certain titty. And that is a booby trap. Ah! A booby trap. Isn't that crazy? So there is not enough data from large randomized study to draw a statistically significant conclusion that babies who are breastfed have lower infection risks. But again, you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. So crazy. But it, so what are they doing? They're just publishing that information to just be like how they feel or it's it's correlating. It's all correlating. So think about they're, this. So they're using correlation rather than actual scientific study. Correct. They're saying, oh, here's all these babies who are breastfed. They didn't have, you know, colds or respiratory infections. So maybe it's the breast milk that's doing it. But think about this. This is kind of something that will blow your mind. Mothers who breastfeed are more likely to be at home, right? If they're breastfeeding 24-7 around the clock, they're more likely going to be keeping their baby at home, whether they're on maternity leave, whether they are, um, you know, just stay-at-home moms, what have you. And compare that to the babies who are in daycares around all of the daycare germs with other kids and the mom is packing formula for the baby. Because some daycares will not even allow breast milk in their centers because they don't want to mix up and give the wrong milk to the wrong baby and all this kind of stuff. I I mean, to me, it seems like 
breastfeeding should be easier (laughs) than Mm -hmm. it is, I guess. Put it that way. You shouldn't have to fight with your daycare Mm -hmm. to have your kid be allowed to have your breast milk. Yeah. I think it depends on the daycare. I know my daycare was really cool about it. They would even let me come in during the day and nurse Fisher if I needed to. But I know some daycares, it's like they consider it maybe it's unsanitary or they don't want to get it mixed up. Oh, please. All kinds of things. Okay. Or they're concerned about temperatures. Who knows? Who knows? But just something to think about. Definitely a booby trap. However, it does kind of tie into the next one. So I do want to point this one out. So okay, statement so this number, is number seven, right? Are we on seven? Yeah, seven. Okay, seven. Breast milk contains antibodies. Certain titty. Yeah, it has antibodies, and those may contribute to a lower risk of infections, but you cannot say from evidence-based research that babies who are breastfed have a lower risk of infections, if that makes sense. So breast milk definitely contains antibodies. It also has lactoferrin and interleukin negative 6, negative 8, and negative 10. These are all proteins that help to balance the immune system's inflammatory response, which is absolutely critical for immune function. So it definitely can support and strengthen your child's immune function. Okay. Good to know. Okay, now we're on to my favorite one. This is number eight. You cannot drink alcohol while breastfeeding. As I take a swig of my beer over here. Hmm, I'm drinking wine over here. And I'm going to say that I actually think that that's a booby trap. However, almost everything you'll read will make you feel like that's a certain titty. Mm-hmm. So my answer is booby trap. Yes, and your answer is correct. You can drink alcohol while you are breastfeeding. Now, it's not recommended that you go out and get absolutely shamammered, okay, and then feed your baby an hour or two later. That's not great. No shots. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. However, there's a study that suggests the amount of alcohol that a baby will get through breast milk is approximately 5 to 6% of the weight-adjusted maternal dose. And even in the theoretical case of binge drinking, your baby will not be subjected to clinically relevant amounts of alcohol. Wow. There is a lot of misinformation out there about that. Mm -hmm. There's people that are going out and having like two glasses of wine and then pump and dumping. Yeah. Because they think. So our body essentially filters it out. It filters it it out. It doesn't end up. Okay. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned pumping and dumping. I know that's like such a a thing, but it really is completely unnecessary. Unless you are like in pain and need to like express some milk, there's really no need to pump and dump because your body will filter that alcohol out in, you know, a couple of hours, like three to four hours is kind of what's recommended. So you want to make sure that if you do have a drink or two, you give yourself some time before you feed your baby. But here was my move. Here was my move. And this is what I loved to do. I actually loved to have a beer while I was breastfeeding. That was like my favorite thing to do. Because by the time the alcohol's in your system, your baby's already done feeding. So like it was mine and Fisher's move. Like I would grab him in one hand. I would grab a new Belgium fat tire in the other. And we would plop down on the couch and we would watch an episode of The Office. And he would nurse and I would just enjoy my beer. And it was glorious and I loved it because in those days when you were breastfeeding you were that tired and you haven't had anything to drink in nine months one new Belgian fat tire will have you feeling really really good (laughs) 
First of all, New Belgium Fat Tire is a delicious beer. 100%. I wish, I, I wonder if they sponsor podcasts, but <laughs> we'll secondly, <take> it. <laughs> agree a thousand percent that, I, I mean, I haven't known a mom that could, like, while still breastfeeding, go out and, like, rage. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, ladies, go out, have a drink, have two, come home and get some sleep. You don't mm-hmm. need to waste that time out in a bar. Right, right. <laughs> I love it sleep. so much. Yes, sleeping is so much better. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, moving right along to number nine. We're almost done here. Breast- All right. Breastfeeding improves your baby's IQ. Ooh. I think that might be a booby trap. I think you're right again. It's definitely a booby yeah. trap. And this goes back to that whole correlation is not causation. And when we think about women who are more likely to breastfeed, again, they're going to be women who may be able to provide more supports to their children so that they'll be successful in school and perform better on tests and things like that. So there actually was a large scale randomized study that was done on this. Um, It was super confusing because the first go around, they found that children who were breastfed did have higher IQs than children who were formula fed. But then the researchers decided to replicate the study with new evaluators and they arrived at completely different results. So, oh, so that that wasn't a good study in the first place. Right. So like the reliability factor was like out the window and it looks like the overall effect was actually driven by the evaluators and not by statistically significant differences among the children because of breastfeeding. Wow. All right. Very last one. And this is a softball for you. Breastfeeding lowers the risk of breast cancer. That is a booby trap. Oh. <sighs> I was hoping you would get this one right. This one is actually a certain titty. It's a certain titty. Yes. I did a shallow dive into breast cancer, which is coming up in a minute. So um, that's a good good fact to know. Good segue here. So in a search of PubMed studies that were done between 2008 and 2014, A random effect model was used. There was sensitivity analysis. There were subgroup analyses. There was publication bias that was, like, removed for publication bias. All of the right things were done. And they found that breastfeeding was inversely associated with the risk of breast cancer. Statistically significant. Um, Wow. An inverse association was also found for the longest compared with the shortest categories of breastfeeding with the risk of breast cancer. Good to know. But I still won, though, because if I counted right, I got eight correct. That's exactly right. You absolutely crushed it. And I'm so proud of you. You did amazing. You did amazing. So I just want to give a shout out to one of my favorite researchers in this space. I absolutely love her work and I highly recommend her. We'll put links to her um, in our show notes. But her name is Emily Oster and she's an economist actually with Brown University. Emily looks at things from an economist point of view, which means she's always looking at what is the statistically significant factors that come into play with 
breastfeeding, with parenting, with pregnancies and all of this stuff. And I love her work because one of my favorite things that she's done is kind of put these risky things with pregnancy into perspective. So you know how they're always like, oh my gosh, you can't have any lunch meat whatsoever while you're pregnant or you could kill your baby and all of this stuff. She kind of comes back at that like, um, did you ever get into a car when you were pregnant? Good point, Emily. (laughs) Like, you are doing, like, if you are driving while pregnant, that is so much more risky than eating this piece of turkey over here. So I just really like the way that she lays things out. And she is a really great source for looking at, again, randomized controlled studies and going into the science and using evidence-based information to make decisions here. I actually want to share a quote from her. And then I was thinking maybe we could share a little bit about our breastfeeding experiences before we moved on. So here's the quote from Emily. She says, in the end, digging into the data, I found credible evidence for some small early life benefits of breastfeeding, lower rates of gastrointestinal illnesses, possibly fewer ear infections, but no credible evidence for most of the claims made about long-term health or IQ. The bottom line is that breast is great. But formula is also great. And shaming people for making either choice is harmful. Hear, hear, Emily. Hear, hear. Love that girl. Hear, Love her. 100%. Come on our show. We would love to have you. We want to be friends with you. You're amazing. (laughs) And, And I know I'm speaking for Mel here when I say that, like, that is our stance, too. Like, here on our show, we are just in full support of you taking care of your child, however that looks. If you choose to breastfeed, awesome. If you choose to formula feed, awesome. Just feed your baby. Feed your baby. Feed yourself. Take care of yourself. Make sure that you're working to be the best mom that you can be and that you've got the support that you need to love your littles because that's just awesome when you can do it. Absolutely. And Miranda said we were going to talk about our experiences and they were very different. But as I mentioned, I had a really hard time. We had latch issues. Um, There were lots of factors at play. I ended up being a gestational diabetic So my child's um, blood sugar plummeted, which is very normal. If the mother's a gestational diabetic, it gets into this whole thing. And so he ended up, he had already had formula while we were at the hospital before we left. Because what was his blood sugar? I know I told you. It dropped down to nine. It was like single digits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not okay. And No, not okay. And that was his body overcompensating because he had been within my body and my blood sugars Mm -hmm. weren't where they should have been because of the gestational diabetes and all of that. But we had latch issues and it ended up being that I could only pump to feed him. And I was in pretty rough shape after I had him. I'll be completely honest. Um, I... It was a very hard labor. It was a very long period of time. I had a lot of pain afterwards, which wasn't necessarily addressed as it should have been. Well, and wasn't your whole back like completely broken out too? I was covered in a huge rash because adhesive ended up being used. You know, coming from a person whose intention was to have this fully natural labor and then needing to be induced to save my child because my fluid level was so Mm. low, you know, it's advice from Mel is don't make a birth plan. Like, have (laughs) a couple. Here, here. (laughs) Here, here. 
And I told Miranda this when she was pregnant. <laughs> and I still didn't listen. And did she I? still didn't listen. She had her binder and her spreadsheet oh and all of that. You know, you can have things that you wish to work out, but don't look at it as any more than that. Like, here's what I would like. But, like, y'all chill with the birth plan thing and just make the smartest decisions you can using scientific information Mm -hmm. at the time. But anyway, long story short, what ended up happening with me is I was pumping for about six weeks. And God bless my mother. She finally told me, you really need to look at this. This is not healthy for you Mm -hmm. because I had this newborn that I was feeding every four hours and then I was pumping every four to six hours but it was never on the same schedule right right and so I was up dozens of times it Mm -hmm. felt like and just absolutely wore myself out yep And so thankfully, my mom said that in a way that I was willing to receive Mm -hmm. at that moment. Or perhaps I was just so exhausted that that I would have listened to anything. Yeah, I gave it up. You know, it it wasn't what was best for us. And I think that's what everybody has to do. You know, I've seen mom's groups. I've been in, you know, social media mom's groups where Mm -hmm. it's like a... There's so much judgment and, like, ego. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all let go of that. Like, it's everybody's own baby. It's not helpful to to come out It's your own baby. Feed it however you want Mm -hmm. and move on. Right. And I'm glad you brought up, too, like, you have to take care of yourself. I feel like one of the worst things that happens to us as moms is we fall into this cycle where we feel like we have to give and give and give and sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And, like, we are running ourselves on fumes because we want to give 100% to our kids. But the problem with that is if we're not giving ourselves 100%, then we're never going to be able to give you know, out of that abundance to our children, if that makes sense. Like we've got to make sure our tank is full so that we can give the best of ourselves to our children. So running yourself ragged is actually detrimental to both you and your child. Instead of making sure you set those boundaries, take care of yourself, feed your own soul, feed your own heart, make sure you're taken care of so you can put your best foot forward as the mama that you need to be to your little And I know for me, like, we had a very, very different experience because I loved breastfeeding. It was, like, awesome, and Fisher had no issues with latching at all. And I, I didn't mind breastfeeding. I enjoyed it. It was it was fine. I kind of liked like that being that mom who would be like just out in public just breastfeeding. Like I, I just kind of hmm. dug that. It just kind of it was it was cool. And for me, I had to give it up because Fisher was such a big baby and yeah. my breast milk was not really enough to supplement him and we kind of got on that cusp where he wasn't gaining weight like he should be because he was so big and my milk was so skim and I didn't have you know a lot of it and all he wanted to do all day all day long was nurse because he was so hungry and so it kind of like clicked in my brain and he was probably 10 months old at the time before we started incorporating formula so he had already started eating some solid foods and stuff but um, we waited until about 10 months before we started even incorporating formula. And then I think he was fully on formula 
at 12 months, and then he fattened up like a little pig. It was the craziest thing I had ever seen. You're always going to have some measure of guilt where you're like, oh my gosh, should I have done this sooner? Like, was I being selfish for some reason? Or was I being stubborn? More likely in in Miranda's case, she was being stubborn. (laughs) It was stubborn and you should have switched much earlier because you would have gotten more sleep. I definitely would have gotten more sleep. Oh my goodness, but it's it's a journey for everybody. It's a journey for everybody and there's so much that goes into it emotionally and physically and psychologically and we just want to say that we're here to support you um, so that you can be the best mom again for your baby. That's what this is all about. And on that note, Melanie, I want to end with a quote. Actually, um, yeah, it's a quote and it's about you. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, okay. I'm yeah. ready. Okay. A good friend is like a good bra. They're hard to find, supportive, comfortable. They always lift you up, and they're always close to your heart. (laughs) Wow. That is really cheesy. Thank you for that. That's just for you. That's just for you. Okay, guys. Well, as we've mentioned, this is the breast episode we've ever done. So... (laughs) It still makes you laugh. You love, it really does. You love a good pun. I really do. <laughs> I'm going to talk about breast cancer, and this is actually going to be a very shallow dive because our intention is to come back to this it, when it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But I felt mm. like it's such an important issue that we needed to at least touch on the basics where we are right now. So I'm going to start off with some statistics and information from the American Cancer Society. Uh, Apologies to all of our international listeners, but I'm sure that much of this information translates to a broader scale. So aside from skin cancer, breast cancer is actually the most common cancer in women in the U.S., It accounts for 30% of all new female cancers each year. So that's a good chunk. That's a a third. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Annually, just over 35,000 new cases are diagnosed, which seems horrifying Mm. to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And just over 40,000 women each year will die from breast cancer. Oh, wow. So wow. it's it's prevalent. We need to be aware of it. Some other interesting statistics that I found, it most typically occurs in middle-aged and older women. Now, Miranda, do you want to wager a guess as to what the median age is of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer? The median age? I would like to wager. I'm thinking... My guess would be like maybe 40, between 48 and 52. Oh, okay. So like call it 50. Call it 50. In fact, the median age of people diagnosed with breast cancer is 62. So 62? Yes, that is the median age. That's older than I thought it would be. So it's not unheard of in younger women, although the number of women under the age of 45 is very small. So that's that's good news for those of us who are under 45, not such great news for folks that are over. Mm-hmm. American women have approximately a 1 in 8 chance of developing breast cancer. 
One in eight. One in eight. One in eight. Yes. Wow, that seems really high. I know. Black women have the highest death rate from breast cancer. And this is thought to be because at least one in five of black women develop a type of breast cancer known as triple negative. And I've I'll, heard of triple negative. And I'll I've come back that. to that. I'm going to explain a little bit because I've heard of it too. And I really didn't know a lot about what it was until I started yeah. doing this research. Um, of course, I also need to mention that breast cancer is most often found in women, but men can also get breast cancer. Yeah, I'd heard that too. Yep, they have huh. breasts as well. Um, about hmm. one out of every 100 breast cancers diagnosed in the United States is found in a man. So hmm. something to keep in mind. Yeah. And this particular statistic I wanted to include because I had to read it 12 times and I still am not certain that I fully understand it. Transgender women are more likely to develop breast cancer compared to cisgender men. Additionally, transgender men are less likely to develop breast cancer compared to cisgender women. Okay. Okay. So what um, What I got out of that, what did you get mm-hmm. out of that? Maybe something about uh, hormone replacement, maybe? That's what I got out of it, is that it's very tied to hormones. So whoever has the higher levels of female hormones are more likely to have breast cancer. I just thought that was really interesting. That is, that is. And I guess that's whether those hormones are naturally occurring or whether they're like artificially From reading that, I'm assuming that it doesn't matter which way you Mm -hmm. get them. But if you have the female hormones, you're more likely so I thought that I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's a good fact. Now, I'm going to talk about briefly, and I'm not going to hit on all of them, the different types of breast cancer. So the most common type of breast cancer, which this accounts for about 80% of all cases. 80%, 80, 80. 80. Wow. Okay. Is called infiltrating ductal carcinoma. Okay. So this type of breast cancer starts in your milk ducts mm-hmm. and then breaks through the walls of those ducts and goes into surrounding breast tissue. Okay. So it starts okay. in the milk ducts but spreads beyond it. So the infiltrating ductal carcinoma. It infiltrates out of the ducts. Got it. Okay. Correct. And you said that's like by far the most common. Kind. It accounts for 80% of all cases of breast cancer. That's a lot. That is a lot. Okay. Now, there is another type that's called ductal carcinoma in situ, which sounds weird. But basically, this is something that I read is being more and more detected these days because of the advancements Mm -hmm. in our screening tools. They're actually doing Mm -hmm. like 3D mammograms these days, and that can catch a lot more. So Mm -hmm. ductal carcinoma in situ is also called stage zero breast cancer. It is in the ducts, the milk ducts, but it hasn't mm-hmm. spread. So that okay. makes it incredibly tre- treatable. You don't have to worry about it having spread to different areas. Yeah. Sounds like you can kind of just go right to that spot. Right to that. Do what you got to do. Correct. Okay. Another type that is 
not it's fairly common and this is about 10% of breast cancers is something that's called infiltrating lobular carcinoma. So rather than forming in the milk ducts, this type forms in the lobules of your breast. So like within the breast tissue itself, um, the lobules of your breast are actually where breast milk production takes place. The lobules are the milk factory. And infiltrating lobular carcinoma is a type that um, of cancer that starts in the milk factory, basically, (sighs) Um, and it has spread to surrounding. Now, there's a similar version to the in situ, the ductal in situ. There's a lobular Mm -hmm. carcinoma in situ, and that's also considered like precancerous or stage zero. So that's where the cancer has formed, but it hasn't spread beyond it. So let me kind of just make sure I'm following so far. So you got your milk factory, you got your milk ducts. Correct. And there could be cancer that springs up just in the milk factory. And if it's just there and it hasn't like infiltrated, that's super treatable. That's the lobular in situ. Correct. If it's in the ducts and it's in situ, hasn't infiltrated, that's the infiltrating or that's just the ductal in situ, right? Correct. Okay. No, you've got both it. Both of those, both of those, also have the infiltrating versions where it starts to spread either Correct. out of the factory or the duct. Okay. Correct. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. okay. Look and how much I'm learning. You're teaching me so much. You really. And this are. is me on half a beer over here. So you're doing a great job. <laughs> okay. Well, now we're going to talk about, and there are many other types, but I'm like I said, shallow dive today. Triple negative breast cancer, which I mentioned earlier, it it causes, um, it's the most difficult to treat, and it's the one that one Mm -hmm. in five black women actually have triple negative breast cancer. Wow. So overall, it accounts for about 15% of cases of breast cancer, and it is one of the most challenging breast cancers to treat. It is called triple negative because it doesn't have three of the markers that are associated with the other types of breast cancer. And I didn't go, like I said, I'm trying to stay shallow, but what happens with it is because it's missing those markers, the markers are what they use to make treatment targeted towards it. So without the marker, you can't target the treatment. Which is why right. it's harder to to treat. Makes sense. Okay. So now I wanted to talk about how do we know that we might have breast cancer? And this is for everyone with boobies, which is all of us. Because even if you're male, there's breast tissue mm-hmm. there. If you have a change in the size, shape, or contour of your breast... As women, we're pretty familiar with what our bodies look like. If all of a sudden mm-hmm. your right boob looks a weird shape, it's reason mm-hmm. for concern. Or if your friend's boob looks kind of weird yeah, shape. Yeah, if you're like, yeah. mm, Miranda, I don't know, righty's <laughs> looking a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think it's that obvious. But obviously, if there is a change in the size, shape, or contour of the brush, you might want to pay attention to that. Of course, a mass or lump, which might feel as small as a pea. In some folks, their breast tissue changes in texture or appearance with their menstrual cycle. But if that change goes beyond your menstrual cycle, like beyond what's normal for you, that's something to pay attention to. Um, A change in look 
of the or feel of the skin of your breast or the nipple. Pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Redness of the skin on your breast or your nipple. An area that's just different. Like if you get a weird spot on your boob, have mm-hmm. that looked at. You know, yeah, yeah. Just get that checked out. Get, that, get checked that checked out. out. Um, yeah. Another thing to keep in mind is some folks that are years beyond breastfeeding will have discharge from their nipples, and that can be a sign. So, pay attention to that as well. It basically just make sure that you're getting yourself checked out. Now, going to talk briefly about treatment. There are many breast cancer treatment options. Uh, I'm going to, again, shallow dive. Surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, hormone therapy. It really depends on a lot of factors, including the size of the tumor and its location. They do a lot of lab work these days to kind of tailor each treatment plan to each different person. The Mm -hmm. main types of surgical intervention include include and you have probably heard these terms there's a lumpectomy and then there's a mastectomy right right so the lumpectomy is just hey we're gonna go straight to that spot like we talked about and we're gonna remove that and then the mastectomy is we're taking the whole the whole boob and nothing but the boob taking the whole boob we're taking it all which is interesting Um, mastectomies have changed a lot over the years in a lot of cases they're actually able to do a nipple sparing mastectomy so that you still have your nipple oh wow that's awesome yeah and then many um, women actually do the mastectomy and the reconstruction as like one surgery which Mm -hmm. is kind of wild that they can do that so there is good news The overall five-year survival rate, which, Miranda, I don't know if you're aware of that, but cancers Mm -hmm. tend to be, they do this thing called a five-year survival rate. And what that means is at five years, 50% of people will still be alive. Like, they're doing, it's a weird statistic. Mm -hmm. I don't understand all of it, but all cancers go by five-year survival rates. For some cancers, five-year survival rates are really low. Um, But the five-year survival rate for breast cancer is 90%. So that's really good. So that means that 90% of people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer are still alive five years later. The five-year survival rate to cancer, breast cancer that has spread to nearby areas um, Mm is 86%. Which that just means it's spread within the region that it's in. So mm. could be lymph nodes. There's a lot of lymph nodes near our yeah. breasts. It could be tissues in and around the breast area. But the oh, wow. five-year survival rate for what they consider metastatic breast cancer, and that's where mm-hmm. you hear people that are like, oh, well, she has a metastasis to the liver or a metastasis yeah. to the brain. Like, when it's metastatic, the Mm -hmm. five-year survival rate drops to only 28%. Oh, wow. So that's a breast cancer that's been there for a while, and it's had Mm -hmm. enough time to get 
in your body yeah um, to other do you places. say that like it kind of gets into your lymph nodes and spreads it can there's a there's a lot of like it's so complex when you really start looking at cancers and how they spread but the lymphatic system follows you know basically the circulatory system so it's everywhere and that's see i have like always been super curious about the lymphatic system like i wish you would do you should do a medical mystery on the lymphatic system because i feel like there's a lot there we could learn it's already on my list I'll, no I, way. I'll get to it. I promise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm excited for that because that's one of the main things. My my dad actually had thyroid cancer, mm-hmm. um, as you know, and it spread to his lymph nodes mm-hmm. in his throat. And he had there's to get, tons like, of lymph nodes right tons. there. Tons. He had to have like 60 something lymph nodes removed from his throat. And I had no idea. I thought you had two lymph nodes <laughs> in your throat. <laughs> I mean, honestly. That was crazy. I think that's what we all think. Think, and that was why that is actually one of the first topics that I really wanted to cover. But I will get to it. It will blow your mind. There are so many more lymph nodes That's and the lymphatic crazy. system is so much more complicated than any of us wow. ever even talk about. But when you think about cancer and like cancer getting into that system, it's literally just like an interstate through your body for that cancer to travel and spread. So I I feel like I've heard before that if it gets into your lymph nodes, you're at a higher risk for it, like metastasizing to another organ or something like that. Very easily because that is one of those situations where it already has a pathway to get there. Mm -hmm. So we will get to the lymphatic system. The important thing to remember here is that that is very good news, that there's a five-year survival rate. It's 90% for breast cancer. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That's really awesome. Of course, survival rates are only estimates, so obviously you have to take that into account. Now, one thing that I wanted to touch on, and I don't know if you have heard of this, Miranda, but have you heard of people who have a really high risk or they've lost a lot of family members to breast cancer and they opt to have a mastectomy? Have you? No. Okay. No. I know that. I've not heard of that before. Well, I know that there's some celebrities that have. I want to say Angelina Jolie, but Angelina don't come for us if I'm wrong on that. What that is, is a, it's called a prophylactic mastectomy. And that reduces the chances of developing breast cancer for women that are very high risk for the disease. So for women who have already had breast cancer and also had a family history of the disease, they often opt for that. But if you're one that falls into that category... And a lot of times this is tied up with triple negative breast cancer. It reduces your risk of developing cancer by 90 to 95%. Oh, wow. So I really, I've always thought that that was so interesting that people chose Mm -hmm. to do that. Because you know my whole... My whole theory on surgery is that if I can avoid having somebody have to cut me for any reason, I will do it. But when you look at those statistics and thinking of like, mm-hmm. say you lost your mom and your aunt and right, your grandma right. to triple negative and to know that you have the option to reduce your risk by 90 to 95% is amazing. I would I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat if I had the means to be able to do something like that. I mean, honestly, I would probably figure 
figure out the means even <laughs> if I didn't have them because can you imagine living with that hanging over your Gosh, head right yeah so I want to wrap this all up to say you know breast cancer is most easily treatable when it is caught early so yeah. y'all do those self-exams Keep up mm-hmm. with your annual checkups with your OBGYN. Get mm-hmm. those mammograms because the earlier you catch it, the more likely it is that they can just take care of it. Right, and right. I'm going to leave it at that. I think that is our overall message. You know, fed is best when it comes to kids and <laughs> check on your boobies. Yes, yes. Stay in tune with your body and and make sure you're paying attention to what's going on with your lady parts, you know. So I'll I'll kind of share because I definitely found a suspicious place on my breast um, a couple years ago. And, you know, I had my doctor check it out. She recommended a mammogram. So I went for the mammogram, which was like kind of hilarious because I don't know. I, I'm not a modest person at all, as you know, Melanie. I do. And so <laughs> like I just kind of go into the room like in my jeans with like nothing on. And the lady's like, oh, here, you need to wear this little shirt. And I'm like, why aren't you taking pictures of my breasts today like won't it just make sense so she like (laughs) she has this little shirt like draped on my elbow I'm like why are we even fooling with this shirt like it's literally something else for me to keep up with I had those same thoughts because I am I'm in my 40s now so it's recommended that you start when you're 40 and the insurance Mm -hmm. covers it and I'm looking at her this weird half shirt thing and she's handing it to me all weirdly and I'm like what are you doing like I go to (laughs) concerts like I I go to concerts (laughs) I guess I should say I go to I go to festivals like I don't need a half shirt like it's fine like I've been I'm I'm comfortable with my titties out okay here they are (laughs) maybe that's too telling but like I've been known to walk around in a string bikini top for days at a time like I don't need your weird half shirt when I'm in this room by myself exactly with you who looks at boobies all day long like what are you gonna say to me ma'am you're a pro (laughs) it wasn't so bad it wasn't so bad you know the mammogram experience Mm -mm. wasn't that bad what freaked me out was I had a follow-up ultrasound because they wanted to get a localized image and they took a really long time to get this ultrasound and I'm sitting there and the ultrasound technician is like hmm hmm Hmm. I and hate I'm just like that. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what are you thinking? And it was taking forever. And she's like, your breast tissue is just really dense. And I'm like, oh my god, I have dense breast tissue. Like, oh my, god, I'm freaking out. Right? You're, you're not but a good was, one for that. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm like about to pass out on the little <laughs> table. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't. <laughs> it was crazy. But yeah, she was telling me like, well, after the fact, she told me. I wish she would have told me this beforehand. But she's like, yeah, some people just have denser breast tissue and so it took me a lot longer to find the clear image so we could pass it off to the doctor went to the doctor he looked at it verified everything came back it was totally fine just like a little cyst or whatever but I'm glad that I went because it put my mind at ease right and I actually have an annual coming up in a couple weeks and I'm going to get another breast exam 
him because again it just puts my mind at ease to know that somebody else has checked it out and we're all good there because all of the statistics that you shared melanie are like very jarring to think one in eight women could have this and and yeah the most likely case is that we get the let me make sure i'm paying attention here infiltrating ductal um, carcinoma which is super treatable however let's make sure we're being as preventative as possible and taking those steps to advocate for our health i agree get yourselves checked out wear the shirt don't wear the shirt it doesn't matter you decide don't wear the shirt ladies just let it all hang out we're here for it we're here for it Melanie, this was such an informative episode, and I am fully confident in saying beyond a shadow of a doubt of certainty that this has been the very breast episode that we have ever done. I think you're right, Miranda. I think I'm right. I think the only thing that could make this episode even just a, a, a nipply bit better would oh. be if you had a spotlight for us. You know what? I'll do you one better. I have two spotlights for this week. Firstly, I definitely wanted us to spotlight a breast cancer research entity. And the one that I am recommending you all check out is called the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. They are dedicated to ending breast cancer by advancing the world's most promising research. This year, BCRF is the largest private funder of breast cancer research and metastatic breast cancer research worldwide, and they Mm -hmm. are the highest rated breast cancer research organization in the United States. Oh, wow. So y'all check them out. The website is www.bcrf.org, and that, of course, stands for Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Now, my second spotlight for this episode is called La Leche League. Oh, La Leche League. Yes. Yeah. And La Leche League is an international organization that provides support and information on breastfeeding. I checked out their website before I included this. I have heard of them before. They've been around for a very long time. But they have a really good website that will direct you to local resources and just a lot of information because, as we've mentioned, breastfeeding is not always easy and it's a good thing to have support or someone that you can ask questions about. So to find the La Leche League in your area, check out their website. It is www.lll. USA.org. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.